Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I remember hearing once that when we listen to a speaker, we remember the stories they share, much more so than the facts, figures, statistics, and other elements of their speech. Stories are powerful. They hit home. They help us identify with concepts that maybe seem kind of vague, but when we hear someone tell their own heartfelt story, everything comes together. You know, my favorite cognitive therapy is REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. I talk about it all the time. It's really the essence and the foundation of taking charge of our thoughts to take charge of our life. Bruni Getchell is here to share her empowered story of a really, really rough childhood and how she had to take charge of her thoughts through REBT to realize that the painful childhood she'd experienced did not have to dictate the rest of her life. Bruni and I connected a while ago. You first heard her way back in episode 48, A Race Against Time, Beating the Biological Clock, Techniques from Cognitive Therapy. I'm so pleased to welcome Bruni back to the program to share her true story of implementing REBT to absolutely change her life. Here's a little bit more about Bruni. Bruni Getchell is a master's level counselor, LMHC, former certified school adjustment counselor, and an advanced certified hypnotherapist who has practiced for over 20 years in a wide variety of clinical settings. Bruni's work as a clinician includes experiences in outpatient psychiatric facilities, mental health agencies, school settings, and substance abuse treatment centers. Bruni's utilization of holistic modalities in conjunction with her clinical skills as a counselor provides each client with unique therapeutic experiences. Bruni currently lives and works in Massachusetts. You can find more info and resources at brunigetchell.com and on Instagram at wellness underscore therapy. My conversation with Bruni after this. Bruni, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here, Karen. It's a pleasure to have you back. And today we're going to talk about one of my all-time favorite subjects, which is REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. It's a therapeutic orientation. It's rooted in cognitive therapy, and it allows us to do what I talk about every week on this program, take charge of our thoughts, to take charge of our life. And you talk about REBT in the work you do professionally, but also personally. So let's let's start with the personal stuff. Okay, where do I begin? <laughs> Let me start first, if I may, with just a little a little background about my childhood, if that's okay. My early years were in Bronx, New York, and then we moved on to Cleveland, Ohio for my adolescent teenage years. My family system, the best way to describe it, it, it was just very chaotic throughout all that time. And I have to say, and this is in a very loving way, it was a smorgasbord of dysfunction. 
I mean, there was alcoholism, domestic violence, undiagnosed mental health issues, depression, language barriers. My parents came here from Puerto Rico when they were 16 and 18 didn't speak English. And mm-hmm. there's some some rumors that it was an arranged marriage and they were not necessarily in love. So that that in itself brought, brought its own uh, its own issues yeah. and baggage. Uh, lots of poverty. Um, and then there was what I would call generational trauma, some genetic predisposition to substance, alcohol abuse, repeated cycles of estrangement within family members, primarily matriarchal family systems. That was pretty much how it went. You got married, you got divorced, and the mother, you know, the the father never to be seen again. So, Mm. you know, as a therapist, I, you know, over the last maybe five, 10 years, I learned about a term called ACE, children who have adverse childhood experiences. And, you know, we're always Mm. learning more about ourselves. And I heard this term, I said, oh my God, I have that. I had that. So I I guess I I grew up with chronic stress, chronic stress that that was created because of, you know, this unpredictability with my parents. My father was an alcoholic and was frequently absent from home. And when he did come home, there was a lot of a lot of violence, a lot of arguing. My mother was a very angry woman who unfortunately brought a lot of her own childhood baggage and abandonment issues into into parenting. So like her own mother gave her away when she was a young child. And and when I say gave her away, in Puerto Rico there were no legal guardianship. I mean nothing was established then as far as court or DCF, childhood services, nothing like that. You could just give your children away. And my grandmother, my mother's mother, went on to have subsequent children. And my mother tried to go back to her mother, but my grandmother wouldn't take her back. So lots of abandonment issues and resentment. That's how she stepped into parenting. And she had these uh these emotional outbursts, uh frequent raging, but then she would have periods of time when she could be very loving and very attentive. And I think it was that unpredictability, that that inconsistency with her mood and her interaction with us, because I have two sisters, so the three girls, that kind of created this these issues with safety and security. My defenses were always up. I was always on guard. I went to college and that was because you you mentioned in your in your podcast I think it was two episodes ago powerful podcast I must say I, I couldn't tell you enough about how the whole time I was like wow 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 it was the one on um, is your mother wound impacting your relationships wow very very powerful and I will say there was a big enmeshment piece here regarding mm-hmm. my leaving she didn't want me to go to college I was a good student, but she felt that me leaving her to go to college was abandoning her. So fortunately, I had a mother substitute who was my high school guidance counselor who encouraged Mm -hmm. me to go to college. She told my mother she'd fill out all the financial forms. She actually drove me to the campus that I was accepted to. And in those days, you could have a student in your car without signing a gazillion forms. And uh, she helped secure a full scholarship for me as uh, one of the first Latina Hispanic students on campus. It was College of Worcester in Worcester, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know that's cool. My mother had a tough time with that because it, you know, I was moving away and, but she finally said, okay, I could do it. And off I went. And I'll tell you, when I got to college, I was a hot mess. I was a hot mess. I sought out a campus counselor by the end of freshman year going into sophomore year. 
and he was wonderful. And he basically, I knew I was looking around at all these college students and looking at how happy they all were and realizing that I was not. And I had this sad narrative, this sad, what was me? quiet girl. Mm -hmm. And I went in to see him about a class I wanted to take. And one thing led to another. And I just did a lot of emotional purging with this guy. And he was, he was great. He listened and he, he acknowledged where I was emotionally, you know, which is what we do with our clients, acknowledge, you know, what their presenting problem is. And then within a few sessions, he said two very powerful words to me. Now what? What do you mean? He goes, well, well now what? Well, wow. Where are you going from here? What are you going to do with all of this? It never occurred to me that I had a choice. It never occurred to me that I had a choice about what I could do, that I could shift from a sad, you know, narrative, self-defeating thoughts to feeling more empowered about my life. So he got me started with the uh, rational mode behavioral kind of framework. And he helped me develop very healthy coping skills, a different perspective on my childhood. And basically, I would have to say in time, he started. He didn't, it wasn't, I had many gateways of heightened awareness. He was one of them, but he helped me make peace with my childhood or the beginnings of making peace with my childhood. And his strategy was relatively simple, but his technique, but wow, it was, it was very powerful for me. Yeah. I'm curious. So I'm curious when he said that and you have hindsight now, but in that moment, after he had been empathic and had been validating your very real distress, which was very legitimate. I mean, what you just described to us is a very painful childhood. There's no other way to describe it with the abandonment and the abuse issues and the back and forth. And for a child to just have that level of inconsistency and responses from parents, that in and of itself is traumatic when a kid doesn't really know which parent they're going to get, right? The right. Whether your mom was going to be dismissive because she was dealing with her own abandonment in that moment, or was she going to be loving and nurturing? That back and forth, you don't ever know what you're going to get. So you're right. always walking on eggshells. Right. So after your therapist was able to validate all that, and then to say, now what? How did you feel in the moment? Were you first like, wait a minute, give me the therapist who was who was giving me all that tender, loving care? Right, right. I was I was bothered that he said, now what? It was almost yeah. like he went from acknowledging and empathizing with my with my sadness to all right. Let's uh, let's get a backbone. Let's go. Let's uh, let's work this out. Let's not hold yourself hostage forever. Let's change this. Let's shift this. And I remember him saying, "It starts with your thoughts." So what yeah. he did was it was a, you know, a lot of write, talking, writing, journaling. But he had me do basically what you've talked about in your podcast, the the ABCs of of REBT. He had me think of a life-defining event that I thought mm -hmm. was adverse from childhood. And yeah. it took me a while to come up with one specific one. But he wanted to tell me how it was connected to my beliefs. So as a child, in my early years, I was very relatively precocious, very curious, asking a lot of questions, as most kids do. And my mother didn't appreciate that, that there wasn't room in her life for me to be so inquisitive. Mm. So we were sitting around at a family gathering and lots of talking going on. But I kept asking questions. And I know at one point I challenged whether or not there was some validity to the stories being told. Anyway, my mother 
Unfortunately, she got up and she slapped me really hard in front of everyone and told me to shut up and told me that I talked too much and that to just stop talking and basically to leave. So that public shaming was like a, whoa. And I took on this belief. And what he helped me do was to say, okay, what was your belief from that? You know, how, what was your meaning? How did you interpret what, what happened? And so what my emotional consequence, well, first of all, I think my belief was that I must not have anything important to say. What I have to say is not, is not relevant. And of course I didn't have that vocabulary as a child, but I must not have anything important to say. And then as we peeled back the layers, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, that means that I'm stupid. It means that I'm not good enough to contribute. And what happened is then I took it on behaviorally. Then he helped me realize that I then made myself really small. I went into a bit bit of a deep freeze and I became somewhat invisible. Didn't talk much, very quiet. I think it was a survival skill to psychically numb myself. So people... yeah. So in middle school and high school, I was very shy. And look at me now. <laughs> I, was, I was very, very quiet because I didn't think I had anything relevant to say. He basically helped me become much more empowered by challenging that thinking because he said, well, that's irrational. That's irrational. And he said, your thoughts are making you miserable. And yeah. He disputed that. It's part of the RBT. He helped me see evidence that I wasn't stupid, that I had relevant things to say. So thank you, RBT, for my salvation, because I feel like it, it was the, per- the beginnings of freedom. And I love that you are breaking it down because I think it helps for, I know it for me when I first came across REBT, I loved the kind of step-by-step process of it. And it does, like you said, it takes peeling back some layers that we have unconsciously and unknowingly, we've put together this framework for who we are and our existence. And and, and we just think that that's just the way it is until we start to start unpacking it all. And so you had this very traumatic event, this activating event, as Ellis would call it. Albert Ellis is the founder of RABT. And you were slapped for having a thought, having an opinion. And you then start to internalize a belief, like you said, that I must not have anything important to say. And so then the consequence, and this would be the emotional consequence, would that you would start minimizing your own worth and your own presence. You talked about pulling back, becoming more frozen, becoming shy, being fearful to speak up because, of course, it made sense that if your mother, who's supposed to value you above anyone else, she didn't think you had anything worthwhile to say. How could you trust that anyone else in your world would think that what you had to contribute was valuable? Mm-hmm. And so then the disputation, so now we're A, activating an event, B is the belief associated, C is the emotional consequence, and then D in our alphabet of REBT is the disputation. You challenge that belief. Once you identify the belief, and that's the first, you got to get to the belief first and realize that that belief has become foundational in how you approach your world. And then 
all your experiences are filtered through that belief, you're interacting with the world as you believe it to be. So when you get the chance to identify that belief, to bring it to light, to look at it, which RIBT does, helps us look at these beliefs with some objectivity. Exactly. Yep then you're able to dispute it. Let's get real brass tacks here. I'm getting academic here. I'm going back to professor mode here, Bruni. (laughs) What was your disputation? Do you remember some of the disputations you used to challenge that belief? Yeah, that that it's okay if my mother thought I talked too much. It's okay. It's all Mm -hmm. right. She believes that. And he helped me see evidence that I did have things of value to say and, and that I was you know, I did have decent intelligence. For example, he said, well, I know you got here on a scholarship, but you still had to get the grades. So he pulled up my transcript yeah. and I had all A's except a C in math, not my strength, not my strength. You know, he kept going back to the, you know, challenging me with the evidence. And he said, so you've got, so, uh, you got an imbalance here. It's irrational. He said, you're saying that you don't have anything pertinent, relevant of value to say, but look at these grades and here you are and you brought yourself to therapy. So I think there's a lot of value to all of that. So we just kind of lifted the veil and yeah, he kept going back to, you don't always have to be sad. I remember him saying that all these years ago. You don't always have to be sad. You can change how you feel about this. Because he said, you can't change the event. The event is what it is. That's fact. But everything after that event is all your internalization of it. It's all how you perceive it. You know, we know perception is everything and and how you you attach meaning to it. And I remember later in life thinking, you know, what he was really talking about was my default setting because my default setting, you know, my home base was this sad, very self-defeating, very quiet girl who was really just a mask of who I was or could be. So we helped lift that veil and he was my college campus counselor. Who would have thought (laughs) I know it's amazing. And the timing was so perfect because yeah, you're finally now you're away from home, which just developmentally allows us to get a little objectivity, right? You could kind of start to see and to individuate, which is what my dissertation was on, individuate from your mother and from your family and go, wait a minute, I can see my mom now you know, I'm 18, 19, 20, I'm beginning to be a young adult myself. I can see my mother as a human being who was flawed and who had her own frailties from the hurt that she'd experienced, right? From the abandonment she experienced. You can't really get that objectivity when you're in the system because you're just a kid and you're in survival mode. Kids have to They got to play by the rules, whatever kind of dysfunctional family rules are in place. They got to play along to survive. So then you get a little objectivity and this brilliant therapist who, thank God, came along at the right time, which you sought him out. So another strength I'm sure he identified as well. So for him to be able to say, let's let's look at this belief that you have nothing worthwhile to contribute, that your voice should be silenced, that you shouldn't be heard, and then to dispute it and to go, my mother slapped me. And she did that not because of anything about me, but because of her woundedness that she, like you said, she didn't have room for me in her life where she is trying to emotionally juggle all her own pain and abandonment and all the issues she's grappling with. And then the marriage that's not working and then the alcohol abuse and then your dad's coming and going and her bandwidth was maxed out. What she couldn't have was very smart, very precocious Bruni saying something. It just, she couldn't, it it could, it was not available for her to entertain that, which is so sad. But what he helped you see, that was not about you. You were an innocent child 
having a, a, a say in a conversation. You, you can't fully embrace that until you have a little space and you got to college and you got into a counselor's office. And then he was able to say, you know, your belief that you are meaningless and you're, you're not worth being heard. That's irrational. What really rationally happened in that moment was a mom who was maxed out and slapped a daughter. It was a a knee-jerk reaction from her pain and her dysfunction. And you can't carry that as if it's about you. So he disputed that belief that you carried around with you for so long. And how liberating, how liberating that was for you. It was. And I I have to say that, you know, when they say college can be the best four years of your life. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like soon after, you know, his sessions, I started to look at life through a different lens and things more colorful. And I just started talking again. Yeah. Reconnected with who I was meant to be. And I, yeah. Again, as I said earlier, I didn't realize as many kids don't that there was a choice to how I could perceive things. And I think that was probably the, the biggest power, most powerful, profound thing of REBT, which I still believe is that we have a choice to shift our beliefs. As children, beliefs are developed primarily through the interaction of our inner circles. I was taking on the messages from my, from my inner circle and growing up with these beliefs that I think as adults, we owe it to ourselves to do reality checks from time to time and check in with those beliefs and ask ourselves, well, how old is that belief? Is that like your 13-year-old uh, self? Is that right. your, your nine-year-old self? I did do some inner child work yeah, later yeah, yeah. on, and that helped me get to, which I think is another component of REBT, is once you do the objectivity piece and you just, you can distance yourself from the emotional mm-hmm mess that you might be experiencing, I was able then, I was able to let go. And I think that's, that's a big piece of this is I was able to let go of the sadness and to let go that my mother wasn't who I wanted her to be or who I thought she should be. And I think that takes you to empathy, to forgiveness, which I always call the big F word. I think after, you know, I I try to help my clients with that. That's a powerful, powerful force when you're working with, with your, with, with conflicts is forgiveness. How can you reframe this so that you can forgive, forgive myself for holding myself hostage emotionally for so many years and forgive my mother for doing, you know, she did the best she could. She had a lot, like you said earlier, she had a lot in her wheelhouse that she was trying to parent. She didn't speak English, poverty, the whole thing. So yeah, the forgiveness piece was huge. And that was a whole nother liberating part to this, to this journey. Yeah. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns. We'll target limiting beliefs and thought patterns. We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals and we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you.
I am just loving. I'm just so thankful for your candor and for being so willing to share these intimate details because it really is fleshing out the power of REBT. You know, I speak to it a lot on the podcast and I've devoted a couple episodes when I've kind of walked the listener through the process. And I usually come from my experience with calling off my wedding and those years that I was single for so long. But I love having an opportunity to really delve into another content area, which is the power of REBT to absolutely heal from profound childhood wounds. I mean, these are profound wounds, Bruni. And honestly, you and I have never, I mean, we've gone back and forth here and there. We've never gotten to the point where I've known all of this about your childhood. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I would never have guessed because your healing has been so transformational and so profound that you don't present as a sad little girl who went through a ton of crap. You've been released from that. And it's because you chose to take charge of those thoughts and to recognize, like you said, that I have the choice. I can't change what happened to me, but I have the choice of how I'm going to perceive it. And if I'm going to let it continue to have power and control over my current day experience. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I so thoroughly enjoy your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Because your, your point is taking charge of your life. And that was really a mantra I wasn't aware I was doing in college, but I did eventually take charge of my life by pulling in REBT and then looking at the inner child and then doing some you know, some uh, parts therapy, of course, looking at Mm -hmm. talking, giving my inner child a voice and talking to my inner child from my adult perspective and letting her know, you know what? It's okay. It's really, it's okay. We're, Mm -hmm. we're going to be fine. We're okay. Mm -hmm. And that's of course, then the, the, the forgiveness piece and to see my mother as a child and what she must've felt like to be given away by her own Mm -hmm. mother and then not and then have other children and then not want her back. The pain of that is like, oh my goodness. So to be Mm. able to be empathic like that and to see what her wounds were. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard for us to, we only see how the person hurt us. And it's difficult sometimes to step back and say, well, there's probably a big reason why they behave that way. And that, so that was huge as well. That was another gateway of of awareness is to, to do that forgiveness work. Yeah. Getting back to individuation, so part of it is we see our parents for the first time, really, as people with their own painful histories and their own needs and desires, instead of just looking at them as mom, and the only role that she had in this life and this world was mom, and she was not the mom of the year, let's be honest, she wasn't, but you can see her now through the eyes of, wow, I see her now as a person with her own struggle and her own journey. And I'm her daughter and she's the only mother I have can recognize again, it it takes a little distance. It takes a little objectivity. And once you can see her as a human being with her own woundedness, then you could move toward that empathy for her, even though she was abusive to you and hurtful to you. Mm -hmm. But she it wounded people, wound people, right? Hurt people, hurt people. And you can right. see yeah. that with a little bit of clarity and through the distance based on the fact that you had begun your individuation process. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to what you talked about earlier, when your mom didn't want you to go, that enmeshment was in place 
you got to get away. You really have to get that space for your own woundedness. So the fact that she was able to eventually trust your guidance counselor and let you go to college, that was really a gift of love that I'm sure eventually you were able to see as well. Yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And, and, you know, keep, let's keep this in mind. My forgiveness work was not done directly with her. My forgiveness work was, you know how you have to kind of know your audience. (laughs) My mother was not unfortunately capable to do any direct conscious forgiveness work. So it was me forgiving her and looking at everything you just said, looking at her vulnerabilities, looking at, you know, her level of capabilities. You know, I, I put a post up yesterday that said caretakers have their limitations and she was limited with how much she could give me. Yeah. And that didn't come from her and I having a major, huge epiphany kind of talk. It was me coming to terms with that and letting go and being okay with the fact that she was not, it was not the kind of love that I thought was satisfying and fulfilling, but she did the best she could with what she had. And that was the forgiveness work I did with just me, my inner child, my 14 year old version of self. And I keep going, (laughs) but I... I was able to right. forgive. And that is what made a huge difference as well. So this, this has been quite a journey. So many layers here. But this is why, you know, this I always promote to invest in your personal growth because that keeps going. Because every new season of life brings up new challenges. So, and again, I know we're focusing on your college experience and the individuation, but I know that this was not just taken care of, you know, okay, good. Got that done (laughs) in college. It was a journey. It was quite a journey. I mean, it takes years. We're always a work in progress. We're always working on ourselves and I'm imagining, and we haven't talked about this either, but I'm imagining that once you became a mother, then all kinds of other stuff came up for you that you hadn't realized that you hadn't fully processed because you hadn't hit that stage yet. So we process to the level where we are, and then a new season brings a new role into our lives and stuff comes up. And we maybe when you're nurturing your babies, you're thinking, why couldn't my mom have been nurturing like this to me? All that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And I, I was so happy I did this therapy before having children because um, Mm. I went into parenting with a purposeful goal, which was to have the healthiest relationship I could have with my children. And so communication was key. I was attentive and well, my children are probably going to listen to this at some point. So hopefully they believe (laughs) the same thing, but I have, I have, they'll be like, what are you saying, mom? Really? But I have, I have to say, I have an excellent, healthy relationship with my adult children. And as children, I just cherished them and nurtured them. So what I did was I did break the cycle because my mother's aunts and sisters and, and, and elders, they unfortunately had a lot of estrangement, as I said earlier, in their, in their relationships, a lot of difficulties with their own children. And I was determined to not make that happen, to not create that. So I went into it as healthy as I could and just cherished those, those babies. And um, fortunately, the payoff is that we have such a great relationship. I mean, I love these guys and they're, they're like my friends, <laughs> my everything to me. Which my mother was not to us. And, you know, it was very, very sad. The first time I heard her say that she loved me was when she was in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. And she had a moment of clarity and just looked at me and she said she loved me. And that was like, I couldn't remember any other time having her utter those words. It was like, wow. Mm. 
So, so yeah. So that's oh my, my story, God. Karen. <laughs> to know anything else. <laughs> it's exhausting, right? It's like, Phew. yeah, no, I'm sure the walk down memory lane can be exhausting, bringing some of this stuff back to the forefront to articulate it and, and just revisit it in a way that is very helpful though. I know for me, as I listen, I love just seeing, like I said a moment ago, I just love seeing REBT in a real world example being as transformative as I know it is, you broke generational curses of dysfunction. You were the first person to have children and be like, I love that you just had like a mission statement for parenting. You're like, I mean, how many people are that intentional? I wish more were, but most aren't like, right. You were like, I'm, my intention is to have the healthiest relationship possible. What did that mean? That meant that you had to continue your own individual growth and development right. and maturity and had to continue right. that work that you'd started in your counselor's office at College of Worcester. I mean, so I know. it's really powerful what we can do. And so for anyone who's listening and going, well, I don't know, please don't underestimate the value of you working on your own personal growth and development because you can make lasting changes for future generations. And I think it's just a beautiful, a beautiful expression of the power of taking charge of our thoughts through what you've shared, Bruni. Yeah, right. Exactly. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. As we wrap up, I want to I want to get back to our A B C D E F. So, we talked mm-hmm. about A B C D. A is the activating event, B is that belief and in your case, it was a belief that you really didn't have anything valuable to say. C was the consequence, which you kind of recoiled and became shy and frozen. Then the disputation we talked about, how you had to challenge that. And that was right. part of, of recognizing that it wasn't about you. And so for me, when I work REBT on my life, I like to clarify that disputation. And then the next part of the alphabet of REBT is E, effective new belief. And I often frame that just as REBT talks about in terms of being rational or irrational, because I like to consider myself a rational person. I'm emotional like anyone. I'm a girl and I have very intense feelings, but I also like to believe about myself that I'm a rational person. So when I identify that irrational belief that's been plaguing me and then replace it with what Ellis calls an effective new belief, that E is the effective Mm -hmm. new belief, it may be something like it's irrational for me to believe, da-da-da-da-da. And then replace that with it's rational to believe, da-da-da-da-da. So in this case, I'm thinking like an irrational belief that you were carrying around obviously was that that you had nothing to say, that your voice wasn't valuable or worthwhile. And then the effective new belief would be, it's irrational for me to believe that my mother having an outburst and having a reaction to me because of her own stuff, it's irrational for me to believe now that I am utterly worthless and have nothing to say in this life. Did you have some of those beliefs, those effective new beliefs that you started to, to hang on to, almost like mantras, or when those other irrational beliefs start, start trying to pop up again, that you could whack them all down with your irrational beliefs? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I exactly. I redid my core beliefs. I, I examined them. I, I looked at them and all my I am statements. What REBT did for me was to help me help boost my self-worth by challenging and disputing my beliefs that were irrational and very self-defeating and kept me in a place of self-pity. And what REBT did for me was to, like I said, free me and help me feel more empowered and shift the language of my core beliefs. So my self-talk was much more constructive than it used to be. And, you know, self-talk is critical when you're trying to discern between your rational and irrational thinking, you know, when you're trying to dispute these things. And so my mantras are things like, I am, I am healthy. I am, I'm, I'm good enough. You know, that kind of thing, you know, very positive self worth uh, statements. And then when I feel like I'm slipping a little, when something happens, I challenge myself with our kind of statements like, okay, Bruni, is this rational or irrational? And is this really true, what you're thinking? Mm -hmm. And what's your evidence? What's Mm -hmm. the evidence that this is really true? And then it's, then I go Mm, to the the forgiveness piece, which is it's okay that so-and-so or this happened because no matter what, I'll be all right. And that I didn't have as a child. Mm -hmm. I thought because of everything, I won't be all right. But with the beginnings of REBT and and subsequent therapy, I came to believe that no matter what, I am all right. I am worthy. I am good enough. I am important. I do have things that are valuable to say. And that's, again, can you tell I love REBT? (laughs) I love love that you love REBT. Oh, I do. (laughs) And then when I went to get my master's at Cleveland State University, I signed up for the first course they had on. It was like, oh, I got to take this. I got to take this. And I got into it a lot, you know, I got into it much deeper. But I think we all could benefit from a framework. When we're walking through, when we're trying to process conflicts and and emotional issues, a framework helps. Yeah. And as I always want to remind listeners, it's something that initially takes a lot of effort, right? Because like you said, you've got all these thoughts and they're jumbled up and you're not realizing the connection between those thoughts and why you're feeling so cruddy. And so initially it's just murky. Like you said, a framework helps you concretize what's going on in your head such that you can have more control over it and recognize, okay, this irrational belief clearly is not serving me. It's causing me to feel horrible. How about I challenge that irrational belief? Because it's not true anyway, by the way. So I'm letting something that's not true make me feel horrible. Like, why would I do that? (laughs) Right? So yeah, it's it's not true. And and But we can't challenge it until we identify it, like we've been saying. Mm -hmm. And so you get that power back and then to finish off our A, B, C, D, E, F, I think Alice started with A, B, C, D, E. The effective new belief was the final piece. But other models I've seen have had the F, which is also the new feeling. Because uh-huh. the the end of all this, like you said, is that you start feeling better about yourself. You you start having more positive feelings that come naturally now. Exactly. Like you said before, your default mode before was so sad. You were a sad little girl who'd gone through a lot. Right. And your therapist challenged you to say... You don't have to be 
sad all the time, Bruni. You really don't. You didn't know you had the choice. But when you walk through REBT, you recognize that that F, that feeling is much more in your control than you ever believed it was. And like I was saying, you're able to make this your new default. So now like you, when I start feeling bad, I go, okay, back it up. What's going on? Right. <laughs> what what thought is going is, is in my head right now that I can choose to shine the spotlight on or I can right. choose not to shine the spotlight on? Or if it's straight up irrational, I can dispute it and move to a different thought that's going to lead to a happier feeling. This becomes something that's so ingrained in my mental processes now, which clearly it is for you as well, that it takes a lot to derail me. Thank God. Before it was harder to get me to that happy place. Now it's harder to take me off my happy place because (laughs) it's, yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's a gift you give yourself by doing the work that you described in this episode. Yeah, I I totally 100% agree. My default setting used to be so self-defeating, right? So, so sad. And every once in a while, if I slip into that, it's uncomfortable. It's like, it's an itchy sweater. I just want to take off. It's like, ah, this isn't me. Who is this? This is an old version of me. Nope, nope. I'm going to move through this. And I challenge myself and dispute whatever evidence I feel like, you know, I need to look at. So like you say in all of your episodes, take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. (laughs) that's, that's what we do. And I can't say enough about therapy. Yes, absolutely. And I feel the exact same way, obviously. And, and now you are doing work with your clients that you benefited from so much yourself. And if I were in charge of a grad program for therapy, I would make it completely compulsory that all the students would get into therapy themselves because I don't believe clearly, obviously you are effective with your clients because of all the work you've done. And frankly, if you hadn't done that work, you would have no business trying to help a client. And I say that very firmly because one of the things I learned in my grad program, which never left me, has always stuck with me is that we cannot as helpers in whatever capacity, whether we're talking about therapists, counselors, social workers, we cannot help those we are hoping to help any further along their emotional journey than we have been willing to go ourselves. I'm not willing to go and dig into my stuff. I can't help someone else with their stuff, especially if I have some glaring issues like a father wound that I refuse to address. And then a client comes to me with her own daddy issues. I'm going to be completely unable to help her. Right. Right. And don't you think that you can't ask a client to take a look at something that you wouldn't be willing to do? You know, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hypocritical really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think people mean to, it's like, like, I don't think people run around trying not to, but it's their own issues or those concerns that are just too painful for them to touch. It's an occupational hazard if they don't do it, because I mean, you can get away with not touching those things if you want to be an accountant and you can still file someone's taxes and do a great job. It's Mm -hmm. just in our, in our profession, we really don't have the luxury of not doing our own work. That's true. But who knows what that accountant's life is like? (laughs) Yeah. I'd still want them to do the work. I agree. (laughs) I I agree. It's just not an occupational hazard. (laughs) <laughs> but yes, I, I know what you're saying. I wrote an ebook that is on my website that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago when I was uh, talking to someone about their inner child. And it's called Finding Happiness Even Without a Fairy Tale Childhood. And it was my little oh. my little story that's on my website that's free. But I was I remember working with a client who had a similar childhood experience and I was sharing a lot. I said, you know what, I'm gonna write a little story about this. So so I did. And that's for anybody. It's on my website, brunigetchell.com. 
Yeah, and spell that out because your name is is unusual. Yes, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> I mean, well, I just mean they may not know how to spell Bruni. <laughs> well, someday we'll do an episode on how to name your child properly because my mother named me Brunhilda, German, but I'm Hispanic. Oh. So right there, that started off with a tough deck of cards here. But anyway, so it's just BruniGetchel.com, B-R-U-N-N-I-E. G-E-T-C-H-E-L-L. And as you know, I'm on Instagram. So wellness therapy. Wellness therapy is your Instagram name. Thank you so much for offering my listeners your, your free ebook because I love that concept of you can have, you can have a bad childhood, but you can still have a good life. You can have a great life. But thank you so yes. much for thank sharing you. so candidly and honestly and vulnerably. You will be a light. You will be a role model for so many. Oh, well, <laughs> so. thank you for saying that, Karen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. And I know it's, it can be a heavy topic and I understand. And it, but I look back on it now, you know, like I can tell this story without crying. And I think that's another yeah. Instagram post I put somewhere that if you if you can tell your life story without crying, you've done a lot of healing. Mm-hmm. I can tell this story and really feel okay about everything happened because it happened. And But my choice in all of this was to perceive it in, in a way that's more empowering, that because of this, look at all the things I learned about myself. And because of this, look at all the insight I have that I could help other people with. So that, that was part of the healing. Yeah. That takes a, that takes a pretty enlightened vantage point, which you are clearly demonstrating and living and sharing. So thanks again, Bruni. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. The love and life hack for this week is a bad childhood can lead to a great life. As always, I'm so thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with me. I so appreciate it. Be sure you are the first to know what's going on in the Love and Life community by signing up for my newsletter over on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. You'll also find a place where you can ask a question. You can check out my blog posts. I've got a lot of resources there for you, information on the groups that I roll out and also consultations I offer. I know Bruni's story has encouraged you to take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson April, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson April.